Hey, once again, you guys could be in so many different places today. It is Memorial Day weekend, and yet you guys chose to be with us, and we do not take that lightly. Thank you. Today, we're going to be in a passage, Proverbs 3. And in Proverbs 3, there's, let me go ahead and just warn you. This is perhaps one of the most misquoted, misused, misunderstood pieces of Scripture. And I'm in this weird place today, and I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. I have been struggling with this text all week long because this is the text that most health, wealth, and prosperity preachers use to convince you to send them thousands of dollars so that they can have a jumbo jet. Like, this is the text. And here's what's interesting, though. I'm not afraid of overdoing this text because I just won't do that. That's not in my nature. I don't believe that I will take this scripture too far to that point, to that health, wealth, and prosperity distance. Here's my fear. My fear is I won't take it far enough. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that the Lord wants to bless us on this side of heaven. I believe that he gives us earthly blessings. I think sometimes we overlook how blessed we truly are. I think we often overlook how blessed we really are. We have people of all different financial levels represented within our church, and we're grateful for every single one of you. Here's the interesting thing. We've all been blessed with different giftings, different talents. Some have been blessed in the area of finances. Fantastic. We need those people in our church. But some people have been blessed in the area of time. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of finances, but God's given you the ability to serve more and put more of your time into the church. We need you as well. We're all working together. But here's my thing today. I do believe that this scripture is true. I do believe when God says that if you give to me, if you're open-handed with your finances, I will bless you. I believe those statements. I'm not going to take them too far, but I want to make sure I take them far enough. And we understand that we serve a God that blesses those who are generous. We serve a God that blesses those who are open-handed. And here's something I want for us to understand today. God doesn't bless closed hands. God doesn't bless people that do not have open hands willing to give. Because if we also have an open hand willing to give, God can allow us to receive things as well. See, we're going to be talking today about finances, about our earthly finances, about giving. This can stretch more than just our finances. This could mean our time. This can mean our energy. This can mean a whole lot of different things. But I'm just going to go ahead and try to soften a couple hearts in here. First of all, remember, we're in the middle of our IBC 260 plan. This text is something that we planned six months ago for us to be preaching on. Now, here's what's interesting. The church is doing great financially. A lot of times pastors preach on finances when the church is hurting. We're not hurting. We're doing great. God's blessed us. We're so grateful that we have generous people in the church. But a lot of people want to say this phrase. A preacher should never talk about finances. A preacher should never talk about giving. Our finances is none of the church's business. And you know what? I could say that to an extent. But here's what I'll say. The finances are absolutely God's business. Your finances are absolutely the business of the Lord. And if you don't believe me, let me go ahead and just give you a fact here. Fact, there are 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. 500 verses that talk about prayer. There are 2,350 verses that talk about finances and how to handle them. You hear that? 
2,350 verses that talk about finances. So do not tell this preacher that he cannot preach about finances because apparently God cared enough about finances to put it in Scripture in 2,350 different verses. Therefore, don't write me a letter. Let's move on. John 10.10. John 10.10 says this, I am here to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. God is here to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. But what is an abundant life? What is an abundant life? What is a life worth living? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met somebody on the lower income scale that was really happy, that really enjoyed their lives? Absolutely. I know many. If you haven't met somebody, you really need to come with me on foreign mission trips because my goodness, I will take you to other countries where they don't have running water, but they have the joy of the Lord. But you know what I guarantee you we've all met? Have you ever met a grumpy rich person? My goodness, we've all met those, right? You ever met that person? That they are absolutely financially blessed, but yet they're so grumpy. That's not every rich person, but there are some. And here's what I say by that. I think what happens is they start to realize that they have all the resources in the world to find happiness, but they're not finding it. They get frustrated. They get irritated. And can I go ahead and say something to those people that always wish that you had more money? Can I throw this out here to you? With money comes more stress. With money comes more responsibility. With more money often comes more problems. Can I just throw that out there? Because I think sometimes we wish for something that maybe we couldn't handle. Sometimes you're wishing for finances that might actually stress you out more so than what you'd realize. And here's what's interesting. People always say that money can't buy happiness. And some of us are just really want to test that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, maybe that's true, but I would sure like to find out for myself. Throw a couple 20 mil at this kid and I will find some happiness. I promise. Here's what's interesting. Here's what, when I look at Scripture... And when I look at the text, here's what we see is the abundant life. The abundant life isn't necessarily connected to how wealthy you are. It's connected to the joy that you have. It's connected to the joy that you have and the joy that you find in what you have. The joy you find in life. The joy you find in the life that God has called you to live. So let's look at what Solomon calls the blessed life. In Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching... But let your heart keep my commandments. So remember, Solomon talking to his son. Okay, Fatherly advice. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So when he says, don't forget my teaching, because it will add years to your life. But not just that. He says, peace. It will add peace to your life. Now, Let's figure out what in the world is going to make our lives better, our lives more peaceful, our lives more meaningful. It says teaching. Now, the direct translation of the word teaching is a literal word Torah. Torah, which we know is what the Jewish people at that time were using as their Bible. So the early scripture that is still in our Old Testament. And he's saying, don't forget my Torah. Don't forget my word. Don't forget the words that God has placed in front of us. Make much of it. Don't forget the teachings and you will find peace in your life. See, the first thing we have to understand is this, the first charge in this text, walk on God's path. Walk on God's path. When it comes to our finances and every other decision that we make, we follow after the Lord. 
Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck with tablets on your heart. How do we write the commands of God on our heart? How do we bind them to our necks? How do we make much of God's word? First thing we're going to do today is we're going to remember. We're going to remember God's word. We can't make much of the word that we do not remember. That's why we push so much on scripture memory. I know some people have said things like, hey, listen, scripture memory is really not my thing. I'm not really good at it. Can I tell you this? Are you really good at swimming? Because I'm not a good swimmer, but can I tell you this? When I fall in water, I'm going to get really good at swimming. When I fall in water, I'm going to become a really good swimmer. Why? Because it's necessary in that moment. Can I go ahead and tell you this? If I knew that I was going to be thrown out of a boat, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn how to swim better. I'm not a great swimmer. But if I knew that I was going to find myself in a place where I needed to know how to swim, you better believe I'm going to go with all those little four-year-olds and take some lessons this summer. And I'm going to be that one 30-year-old because I'm going to know I'm going to need that information at some point. Here's what's interesting. I know for a fact that we need to know God's word. We need to know God's word. And you might say you're not very good at it. Well, guess what? It's time to get good at it. It's time to learn. It's time to dwell on it. When God says, I want you to hide my word, in your heart. When God says, I want you to meditate on my word, here's the thing. You cannot hide and you cannot meditate on what you do not know. Learn God's word, study scripture, memorize it. Can I just tell you just the personal challenge of myself memorizing week after week the verses that we've been asking you to memorize with the IBC 260. It has changed my perspective. The amount of times that those verses have popped into my mind just when I needed them. Because why? I spent time studying. Do not neglect remembering, studying, memorizing God's word. We don't just remember, we then reflect on, we meditate on, we think about, we talk about, we make much of. One of the reasons why I love our church is our discipleship programs are fantastic. And why I push the discipleship programs is that's another time where we can reflect on God's word. We can spend more time conversing about the verses that have been in our hearts. But after we remember, after we reflect, we retell. We retell God's word. We proclaim God's word. And then we simply repeat the process. Here's the thing. I feel like all too often we have people that are called to retell God's word and you simply don't know it. Have you ever been to a restaurant? And if you're like me, I'm not picky at restaurants. I'm not the most picky eater. I kind of like to be adventurous, but every time I go to a restaurant, here's what I do. Hey, to the waiter, what is the best thing on this menu? I love to ask that question, but here's what I often do. I often find out how uneducated the waiter is on the menu. You ever done that before? You ever find that waiter that has no idea on the food they serve? Isn't that like really disheartening? Or what about when you ask him, have you ever asked a waiter, hey, what's your favorite thing on the menu? And they go, ah, not really much. I don't really like anything on this menu. Wouldn't that be a little terrifying? The waiter is supposed to be the most excited about the menu as anybody else in the restaurant. He's supposed to be more excited than anyone else. And so you want the waiter to be pumped. You want the waiter to know. Because why? He's the one guiding you through your dining experience. And as Christians, we're called to proclaim the gospel be a part of the salvation process of others. God wants to use us as tools in the salvation process of others. What does that mean? We need to know the word, 
meditate on the word. That is the menu we have been called to study, to know so, so well. I want to look for a second at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, which is where this model of remembering, reflecting, retelling, and repeating comes into play. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So listen, Israel. Remember, Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Reflect, meditate on it. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Retell, retell, retell. We have to know God's word. When we know God's word, we are guided through our life. But a Christian that is not connected to the word of God is misguided. You want to see a Christian that's not wise with their finances? Find one that's not connected to the word. If you want to see a Christian that's not wise with their finances, find one that's not connected to the Lord in prayer. If you want to find a Christian that's not wise with their finances, find a Christian that's not connected to a church body of other Christian believers that are discipling them and encouraging them. All of these things play a role in you being wise in general, which directly affect your finances. Man, here we go. Next thing, after we are walking with God, following after God, we must trust in the providence of God. Verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. This is the power verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is a verse that we drill. Like this, there's been hundreds of songs written after this verse. There was, we did our pre-K graduation, our day school graduation this week. One of the classes came up and sang this verse in a song. This is something we drill into children all the time. Here's my problem. We drill it into children, but we haven't drilled it into ourselves. We drill this into children, but we do not live this out like we should. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. What is true trust? What is major trust? What is major faith? See, when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart, heart is an all-encompassing word with all of your being. Trust in the Lord with everything that you have. Philip Yancey wrote, truth is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Philip Yancey, trust is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. So if we're trying to follow after the Lord, showing trust, it means stepping out in faith when it doesn't make sense to anybody, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense to you. I think that's truth. Listen, there was a man by the name of Charles Blondin, and I'm going to tell you an illustration that might be overused here. You might have heard it before, but let me go ahead and tell you my preacher struggle. I have heard this illustration my entire life, and I have never gotten to say it, and I am excited to say it today. So if you've heard it before, just deal with it, because I've never gotten to do it. Anyway, there's this story about this man named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a world-renowned tightrope walker. And here's what's interesting about Charles Blondin. He got famous for walking a tightrope that he strung himself but over Niagara Falls in between New York and Canada. He made sure to make this thing cross the entire thing. And he started doing all kinds of acrobatic feats on this wire. 
And in his shows, here's what he would do. He would do all kinds of crazy stuff. He would walk across it. He would run across it. He would jump on it. He would do insane stuff. He even at one point would go across it blindfold. He would go across it backwards. This is my favorite. One time he walked out into the middle of this tightrope, hundreds of feet above the water, where obviously if he fell, it would be, you know, lights out. And he takes this stove. He brings a stove with him, a table, and a chair. And balances all of these on the wire. And sits down and cooks himself an omelet on the wire. And eats the omelet, picks everything back up, and comes back. Like this dude was intense. And then here's what he did. After he did the omelet, he comes back and he picks up a wheelbarrow. And he says, does anybody believe? that I can make it from one side to the other in this wheelbarrow. Everybody, of course you can push that wheelbarrow across that wire. They were so excited to see it. And he said, who thinks I can do it with somebody inside? Everybody gets bumped. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's excited. And he said, who will volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Crickets. Nothing happened. Nobody would get in the wheelbarrow because they all had faith that he could do it if only his life was at risk. But once they had to put some skin in the game, game over. See, we trust in the Lord until he asked us to put some skin in the game. Before he asked us to put a little bit of risk out there. Before he asked us to make a little bit of investment that might not come back in the way we wanted. See, Charles Blondin was begging somebody to get in. You know who finally had to get in so he could finish his show? His mom. His mom finally got in because nobody else would. And Charles Blondin pushed his mother across that tightrope. Here's what's intriguing to me. That's exactly what faith looks like in a church. We call ourselves people of faith, but my question is, when God says, will you get in my wheelbarrow and take a risk with me? Are you willing to follow after the Lord? I think it's really easy to throw this out there with our finances. When God says, I want you to make a spiritual investment. Would you be willing to give it to me? Now, let me go ahead and throw out a caveat here. I've been nervous about this text because a lot of pastors want to say something along these lines. Anytime you give money to the Lord, God's going to make sure that it comes back to you tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold. And you'll see, I even got something in the mail one time that said, if I would take this oil that showed up at my house and anoint it on this paper prayer mat that came to my house and send them a thousand dollars, all of my prayers would be answered on that prayer mat with that oil that they sent, as long as $1,000 was sent. I thought that was a little intriguing. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I do believe that God will bless us when we are faithful, but I want to make sure that we have the right heart about it. Here's what I mean. Do not treat the Lord as an investment banker where you think that if you send God $1,000, you're going to all of a sudden have $100,000 in your bank account. Because here's the problem with that. You're giving with expectation of receiving. You're not giving with the right heart. Don't give in hopes that you're going to receive a financial blessing back. What are the best gifts? The best gifts are the ones that are given without expectations. The ones that are given without any thought that there might be a return. Listen, if you want to make major money in investment, go get a mutual fund, okay? Like, don't treat God's people, don't treat the church as if you give $1,000, God's going to promise to give you 10000 back. That's not what this says. So many TV preachers want to tell you that, and I just wanted to make sure that we're careful here. Be careful when you hear those words, because I think that they are misusing this, and also they're promoting the wrong heart. 
They're promoting the wrong heart. Don't be greedy with your giving. Don't be selfish with your giving. Be selfless with your giving. Be willing to give whatever the Lord asks of you. Here's the thing. I believe in the tithe. I think a tithe is a healthy thing. That's something that we practice here, and we're grateful for the people that take it seriously. But for some people, God's called them to be reverse tithers. You know what that means? I've seen this before. This is fantastic. I know people. There's a popular pastor that went viral because he had a book that just exploded. His book went all over. And he said, not bragging, he just said, listen, I started to get convicted because, man, I was bringing in more money than I knew what to do with it. I felt like God told me to be a reverse tither, live on 10% and give him 90. Because I was making so much money off the book, I thought, man, that's such a blessing. Listen, I think tithe is a good thing, but God might be calling you to do something a little bit more than that from time to time. I'm not going to tell you what God's telling you to do with your finances. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Listen to the Lord and be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. Be faithful. That's all I can throw out there. I don't want to misuse this text. Hear me. I feel like I'm the one walking a tightrope today. When we look at Psalms 23... We see this beautiful picture in Psalms 23 of the shepherd leading the sheep. And he leads them to beautiful places, doesn't he? He leads them to still waters. He leads them to green pastures. But there's also something that we forget that the shepherd is leading them into. The shepherd leads them into the valley of the shadow of death. They were led. The sheep were led into the valley. The sheep are often led into places. We as Christians are led into places where it takes faith, where it might be scary, where it doesn't look great, where maybe the end looks grim. But here's the thing. We know that our God is faithful, and we follow our shepherd wherever he calls us to go. We follow our shepherd. If that, if that means that God calls us to be audacious in our giving when it doesn't quite make sense to us, we're audacious. But... We are always listening to the shepherd, paying attention to the shepherd. Here's my thing when it comes to giving, when it comes to anything else that's going on in our life. It's all about what God is calling you to do, and you're faithful to it. Now, here's what scares me as a preacher. As a preacher, as a pastor, as a Christian, I'll throw this out here. People often make this statement, and every time I hear this statement, y'all, I get a little nervous. When they say, God told me to do X, or God said X, or God has asked me to do X, and here's the thing that always comes into my mind. My response in my mind, I don't always say it. Whenever they say, God called me to do X, I said, man, I hope he did. Because have you ever had anybody that misquoted you? Doesn't that frustrate you? Has there ever been anybody in your life that goes around telling people that, hey, so-and-so said X, X, and X. Hey, Sean said this. See, there's been times in my life where people have said, I've said things that I've never said. You ever been in that club before? Anybody? Just me. See, here's the thing. You ever been in that club where all of a sudden you found out that somebody's telling things about you that you never said or you never did or you never even thought? Isn't that frustrating and aggravating? Now, here's what's interesting to me. I think sometimes we do that to God. See, when people do that to me, I get mad. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, did you ever say X? Nope. Never said anything close to that. And I get mad. You know what sometimes I think? I think Christians are using God's word using the voice of God and saying that God said X to them so that they can justify whatever actions they want. We use that all the time. God told me to do X, or God said that this was okay, because to another Christian, that's really hard to argue with, isn't it? Whenever people say, well, God told me to do X, it's really hard to argue against it. You know, sometimes I think when Christians say that, Jesus is standing on the throne going, I never said that. 
That wasn't me. I think Jesus gets mad sometimes when we use that to manipulate what we want to be done, what we want to be said. When we want to manipulate God, that's what we say. God told me X. No, you told God you're going to do X, and you're using the will of God to manipulate to get whatever the heck you want. Let me go ahead and tell you, you better watch yourself, because I believe that God isn't cool with that. I don't believe that our Savior is cool with us misusing his word and his voice. How do we know that something's of the Lord? Let me go ahead and tell you. How do we know something's of the Lord? If it complements God's word. If it ever contradicts God's word, we know it's not from the Lord. See, when we get something from the Lord, we call it inspiration. There are things that show up in our mind that are absolute inspiration. I believe that God can have things that pop into our brain that are pure inspiration from the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for those moments. Here's the thing. That moment, John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. I believe the Holy Spirit can put things into our mind that, man, there's some great, fantastic ideas. We call that inspiration. But the enemy can put things into our mind, and we call that temptation. Don't get the two confused. Don't blend the two together. The Holy Spirit can put things into your mind out of nowhere to give you fantastic wisdom. But the enemy can put temptation in your heart to distract you. Make sure you're listening to the right voices. So know God's word. Understand God's word. Recognize God doesn't always just speak through his word. He can speak through the Holy Spirit. He can speak through teachers, preachers, biblically-based Christians that love the Lord, you can get advice from people that will rock your world, and God can use others to speak truth into your life. But here's my question here. Always make sure that you question the source. Whenever anybody comes and talks to you and gives you advice about the Lord and gives you advice about what you should do with your life, make sure you question the source. If it's a Christian following after Jesus, then guess what? That's a fantastic source. Be sure to check your source every time. Make sure it complements the word of God. Make sure it does not contradict. Make sure it will draw you closer to Christ and not taking you further away. That's one of the best questions to ask yourself whenever you're following the will, the voice of the Lord. The voice of God will never ask you to do anything that would potentially further your relationship between you and the Father. He would never ask you to put distance in between you and him. And so there's anything that would not draw you closer to Jesus than we recognize that's not from the Lord. Another way that we know it's from the Lord is this, and hear this very carefully. If it brings you joy. I didn't say happiness. I didn't say wealth. I didn't say prosperity. I said joy. And I think that God will never call us to do something that will not bring forth joy in our life. If the Lord is leading you to give something, let's say God's calling you to give an audacious amount, fantastic, but you can't have joy about it, then maybe you need to make sure that you're hearing from the Lord. If God's calling you to take a new job, but you don't have any joy about this new job, maybe you need to make sure it's from the Lord. And the last thing I'll leave you with for that, does it build up the body of Christ? Does it make the church, the capital C church, better? The things that God are telling you, does it make the capital C church, the kingdom, better? Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. See, I believe when we stick close to the Lord, he speaks to us. 
Be close to the Lord for the wisdom on how to handle your wealth. Verse 9, 10, and 11. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And all of these things he could use to talk about faith. He could use so many different things to talk about faith, but he chose to use finances. He chose to use finances as an example of your faith and trust in the Lord. You know, I think of this other test of faith when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac. What was that really? That was a testing of Abraham's faith. That was a testing of his faith. And what God wanted to see is if Abraham would truly be willing to give up what mattered to him most. For some of you, your finances can so quickly become your idol. Your security can become your idol. Your retirement fund can become your idol. Here's my question. Do you love the Lord more than that? Do you trust the Lord enough to put that in his hands, to give him full control of those things, and to be faithful to do with whatever he's asked you to do with those things that bring you so much comfort, to know that you have that much money in your bank account, to know that you have that social security, to know that you have that retirement fund. Listen, that's a blessing, but hear me when I say this. None of that is yours. That is all the Lord's. And let me just make sure you get something straight today. I'm not asking for your money today. I'm not asking for you to do anything that God's not calling you to do. We are not hurting financially. I mean, throw that out again. Here's why this preacher is preaching about money today. Because God cares. And God wants you to find joy. And you find joy and peace when you're obedient to the things that God has called you to do. That's all I want to throw out to you today. Be obedient to the Lord. Recognize the voice of the Lord. Make sure it's from the Lord. And be faithful. Be obedient with the things that God has called you to do. Giving is obviously a spiritual matter. It's something that affects your spiritual self. And I don't believe that a stingy, (laughs) a stingy, greedy Christian is one that's walking closely with the Lord. Y'all, in a moment, we're going to open up the altar. We're going to make sure to make this available for anybody that needs to talk about the faith. If you're interested in becoming closer to Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, come and talk to us today. If you need to join the church, if you need to get baptized, come and talk to us. But hey, listen, for the rest of you, at this time, would you just pray that God would help you to have open hands when it comes to everything that's in your life, all the things he's blessed you with? Would you be willing to be open for the Lord to have full control of those things? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have just to be together. God, I pray that you help us to be faithful with the finances that you blessed us with. God, I believe that you can bless us when we have open hands. But God, I believe that close hands you don't bless. I believe you do not find joy with greedy people. And so God, I pray that you help us to be generous. You help us to be open with our finances and you help us to recognize that everything that we have is simply given from you to us and you still own it. You've just asked us to manage it. I pray we manage it well for your honor and for your glory. Lord, for the people in here that don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray you give them boldness today. 
God, I pray that you help us to boldly pursue the Savior that boldly pursued us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.